Well, you know, I posed a question to a group of men. I was meeting with four men. Two of them were, were businessmen this was a number of years ago who, who uh, were really searching out and dis- really still making a decision on whether they wanted to be followers of Jesus Christ. They were, they were kind of, you know, had come to church, kind of dragged by their wives. Uh, one of the guys was really resistant and, and really strongly opinionated. And we would meet for breakfast and we did it for about eight to ten weeks. And I posed this question. I, I just said to him, if, if, you sat, if Jesus sat across from you and asked you to follow him and to live your life like him, would you? It's a pretty easy question. You know, if, if, if Jesus sat across from you and asked you to follow him and to live your life like him, would you? And, you know, obviously they had all kinds of stereotypes and thoughts and things going on in their head. What does this mean? What does it look like? And, and we're trying to kind of process that. And as they were doing that and making some comments back and forth to me, I said, let me pose this a different way in a, in a, in a different question. Let's look at it this angle. If you could enter into this world more fully aligned with reality, would you? If you could enter this world and you could be more fully aligned with reality, would you? And it was kind of interesting because across the table, all, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, you know what? That is exactly what Jesus seems to bring and to offer. When he came and he came before people and he asked him to follow him, he was basically making that statement and that offer. He was saying, I, I'm bringing before you and this kingdom and in my life and the way that I live and what I'm asking you to enter is the kingdom of God, this, this realm of the spirit, this place where reality truly is. And I'm asking you to enter into that. And as I posed it that way, they thought about it a bit differently. And, and I was just saying to me, you know, what, what, what I'm talking about and what Jesus seemed to be talking about was this realm in which God ruled and where he was active and where his spirit would prompt and, and his spirit would, would lead and direct and, and they would live and they would move by the by the motion and prompting of how the Holy Spirit within this realm, this kingdom of heaven or the spiritual place was, which was all around us. And it's kind of interesting because the guy who was most resistant and, 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 and had the strongest opinions and it was most, in my mind, difficult uh, in one sense to answer questions towards and to deal with, said, you know, that reminds me. He was he was from South Africa and he served in the South African military. And uh, he served in that time when. Angola was being invaded by by communists, if you some of you remember that. And it was in the jungles that he would have to go in with a troop of about four or five, whatever it was, a group of, of people. And he was the battalion leader where they would go through and they'd root out these communist groups. And, and he would, you know, I'd ask him questions about some of his past. And he couldn't even it's one of those things where he couldn't talk about it because of how how damaged he was in his own heart and spirit. But he he was he told me that before they would go into these jungles, they would have to go into a place where they would not shower and shave or do anything for about a week or so. So that all artificial smells and all the things would be off them so that when they went in the jungle, they would kind of kind of, you know, smell like the jungle, so to speak. And he said one time when they were going through there, because he, he was saying, you know, some of the stuff you're talking about, about this, you know, spirit and about moving into that. And he kind of makes a little bit of sense to me. Because I remember one time, in fact, it happened a couple of different times, but one time distinctly, he said, we were going along. And as we were going to make our camp and they would camp during the day because at night is when they would do their work. And so they would try and find a place that was secure so that when any Angolan troops or any of those communist troops would come through, they would be clear of that. And I mean, this was life and death we're talking about. 
So as he came to this one clearing, this one spot, he was about to kind of, it was a perfect spot, he said, you know, when it came to the place they should settle down and where they would kind of rest. And, and, and he said, I started to get things ready and the guy started putting his stuff down. I said, you know what? This sounds really crazy, but we can't, we can't camp here. And a couple of guys said, oh, come on, this is a great spot. And they kind of went, and, but you know, in the military, when a leader makes a decision, you just, you right, you follow it. He said, I'm, I'm not, he didn't tell them why. He told me later, he said, I'm not going to explain why, but we're not going to do it here. And they found another spot. He said, it so happened that when they would have been sleeping or resting and, and would have been in that place, that a group of communist troops came right through that area right where they were going to be. And he said to me, it was really interesting, he said, when you're talking about this idea of being open to this realm of the Spirit and the Spirit kind of prompting and moving and working in your heart and your life, he said, I can definitely tell you that there was some kind of, it wasn't me, there was some prompting, something spoke to me and said, not here. He said, it wasn't from me, I knew that. And he was as on that prompting that I went and I moved in, that's one of the reasons he said I'm alive today. And he started, as we started processing, and after a number of weeks, when he did come to accept Christ, he said to me at that time, when he opened his heart to this realm of the Spirit and invited the Spirit of God into his life and, and received this offer that Jesus gave, he said to me, it's kind of interesting, he said, I feel like a kid who has gotten a lot of tickets, like traffic tickets, and my father's paid for them all, and I didn't know it kind of the grace and mercy of God. Jesus was inviting people into this place where they would experience this, this truth that some of you have experienced even in your own heart and life. You experienced the work and the mercy and the prompting of, the, of God, this realm of the Spirit where God was acting on your heart prior to your opening your, your spirit and heart to Him. And you know exactly what He's saying. Well, Jesus made this incredible offer. He basically said, I have come so that you can move into this realm and you can live in this realm and you can actually begin to interact in this realm. This raises some basic questions and that I feel like we need to, to begin with as we continue in this series. And the question that I really want to ask when we talk about this realm of the spirit or the kingdom of God is a very basic question. Do you become a spiritual being. Did you think about that? Do you become a spiritual being? Now, this is somewhat of a trick question because the answer is both yes and no. Okay? And I want to begin with the no answer. No, we don't become spiritual beings. We, we are spirit beings. In fact, everyone, every person is made in God's image and likeness and we are all living spirits. We're not just a collection of physical matter. This is very important to understand. We're spirit beings that have a bodily experience. Your spouse, your child, your parent, your friend, your neighbor, the person you work with are spirit beings and they will live eternally. That makes sense? They're just not a physical mass collection of some kind of molecules and, and atoms and things such as that. They are a spiritual being and they will live eternally. The question is where their spirit will spend eternity. That's the question. There's a couple other things I want you to consider for a second. There's also the question of how much our spirits will then interact and see the realm of the spirit in which Jesus invites us into. So everyone is a spirit being. 
It's a matter of which, where, which direction you're heading and, and where you're going. But also, there is this question of how much will my spirit in this life interact with the spirit and, and, and see this realm that Jesus was saying that people could walk into and experience. And beyond that, there's this question. How much will we become and how much will you become a spiritually developed being? How much will your spirit grow? Well, the Bible makes it clear that when we open our heart to God and our spirits, which were once dead to God, become alive to God, something happens within the spirit, which is eternal. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five says it this way. Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus and he says, as for you, remember this, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There's this this idea that there is for a time and for a period, this spirit that rules in the lives and hearts of spirits that are unwilling and unresponsive and disobedient to God. And he says, guess what? Every one of us are like that. At one point, because of our own desires and our our selfishness and our sin, we all kind of said to the things of God, no way. And he says... The ruler of the spirit of the air has free reign in that life. In fact, that very disobedience allows for his works to flow. It works through things like, like unrestrained anger. It works through things like self-pity. It works through things like through our lust and through our greed. It, it works through all those kind of character traits, those things which the, the, the Bible calls the flesh, which we do in our own strength and our spirit then is, is closed or in many ways dead to this realm of the spirit which Jesus offers us to walk in and invites us to interact with. And so he says, all of us, verse 3, who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, God who is rich in mercy, who would come to this guy with a group of other men around him who would kind of speak to his heart and say, not here. God who is incredibly gracious and merciful to people who are dead to him and who are not open to the things of God. God, even in his mercy, will will break into people's lives and do good. Even when the heart is dead. Isn't Isn't that cool? That God right now in your life, right you may be in a place where, where you haven't given thought to the things of God. You've, you, you've, you're, you're dead to those things, and, and you're not responsive to those things. And you might know in your own life the acts of God's goodness, of things that He's done, things that He's, he's moved in your life, where it's caused you to be spiritually even a bit open to the fact that maybe there is a God because of that. He says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, and it is by grace that you've been saved. The Spirit in us must be born, must be awakened, must be made alive to God, and to this realm, this offer that Jesus gave us of walking with Him and interacting with this, this world called the Spirit. And all this depends upon our receptivity to the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in, in, in another Gospel, in the Gospel of John Chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. He writes that Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. The the world, in a sense, 
spiritual beings were dead to his presence. And he came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's all who those who received, those who believe in his name. This, this, this gentleman who, as God prompted him, and as years later, I was speaking to him across the table on a number of different occasions. God continued to open his heart to these things which are the Spirit. And he says that through that process, he came to a place where he opened his heart. And he said, I want to move into this offer. I want to begin to have my spirit freely interact with these things of God. I want to begin to trust and to believe that this realm really exists and that the Spirit of God really is present and He can actually move and, and work in my life. And so he goes on and he says, you, he, he gives the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So to this question, we become spiritual beings. No, we are spirit beings, but we become open to our life becomes alive. God infuses, in a sense, gives birth to and makes children who are now alive in their spirit towards the things of God. In fact, if you look at those three things, he basically says, first of all, it can't be passed down. This kind of ability to walk into the things of God, to begin to experience the presence of God, to move into this realm of the spirit is not something that is passed down. It's not by bloodline or heredity. So those of you who have come and and you've been um, thinking in any way that it is merely by what my parents did or because of the the things that I've learned in, in, in coming to church, it's not something that is passed down by blood or heredity. In fact, the second thing he says is it can't be earned by effort. It's, it's a non-performance kind of a thing. Here's one of the things that so often happens within, I believe, the church. We speak about the fact that it's a birth, it's a work of God, it's the grace of God. But so often the things we speak, we don't actually live. And it's really confusing to people. Because people can say it's about the grace of God. And many people come to faith and they understand it's the work of God and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And they believe and they, and they trust that. But the rest of their life, they continue to live on a performance basis. Because you basically live what you learned when you grew up. And if it was a performance thing and by what you did that you regained approval and you gained love and you, you gained a sense of appreciation. What many people do is they continue to take that on right in their walk with God. And he makes it really clear. It's not by your blood. It's not by the fact he was speaking to Jews. It's not because you were a Jew that you become um, one who walks into this offer that Jesus gives. He said it's one that comes by a work and prompting of God. It's not one by performance. And then he says this can't be due to another person's will. It's not something that your parents decide for you. It's not something your spouse decides for you. You can't come and your spouse invites you. And because your spouse invites you, somehow something happens to you. It is a work of God in your heart that you respond to. In fact, entering into the spiritual realm is a personal, individual response to God's initiative. It is a personal, individual response, and you catch this, to God's initiative. It's the work that God is doing already in your life, in your heart, that as he is working and you begin to see his grace and his mercy and you begin to understand that, you as you begin to understand that, begin to 
see it and then respond to his initiative. I like what John says in the, in the Gospels. You just go a couple of chapters over. Look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. He says in verse 1, Now there was a Pharisee, in a, and his name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was just, he was a good Irish boy, Nicodemus. A member of the Jewish ruling council. And it says in verse 2 that he came at night, and there's all kinds of different thoughts with regard to commentators on that. It, it is the idea that maybe it was this clandestine meeting that he had to sneak out and he wanted to go in the dark in the cover of darkness so that another, other Pharisees and scribes wouldn't see him so that he came to Jesus so he could ask some questions, which is possible what actually happened. But also John loves to use dark and light imageries. It may be that he was also saying that not only did he come at dark, but that that. That Nicodemus himself was in darkness. He was, he was coming into this place and he didn't have understanding. He didn't get what it meant when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And so he came with these questions and it says that he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now I want you to note Jesus' response. In reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth. Here's his, his response to what Nicodemus says. I know you're from God. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. He's basically saying to Nicodemus, you know what? There needs to be, if you want to enter in this offer that I've been talking about, this realm of the spirit, this kingdom of God, where the activity of God is active in people's lives. You won't see it. You won't enter into it unless something happens to your spirit. Unless you are either, as he says, born again or born from a high. And we often think of born from above or as one of the translations says, as if it's from heaven's way out there. But the idea is more the idea of born from this realm that is this active place that Jesus talks about in the spirit. And so he says, unless that happens, you're not going to be able to see, you're not going to be able to move, you're not going to be able to interact with these things that I'm talking about. And so Nicodemus is confused and he can't understand how you enter a, a, a mother's womb again. So in verse four, he says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. I don't know. You're me. As you read that, as I read it, you kind of go, come on, Nicodemus. I mean, aren't you a teacher? And I think Jesus is thinking this. He goes, I tell you the truth, says Jesus. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. So he goes ahead and he makes it a little more clear. A lot of commentators go back and forth on what does it mean water? Is he talking about the baptism of water? and What kind of sense of water is he talking about? Well, I think if you read the next line, it makes it pretty clear. Because he says flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. The idea is, I think in their day, they understood when a woman's water broke, it meant what? Birth. And I think he was saying there is one birth that we have, which is physical. And there is also then another birth, which is spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. There is a kind of birthing. There's an openness, an awakening to the things of God. And if you want to enter in and see the things of God, you want to accept the offer, which Jesus is talking about, which as I offered to those guys, is if you wanted to live your life so it was most matched with the way reality is, would you do it? And he says it happens because your heart and your spirit is open to the initiative and working in this process of birthing of the spirit. 
Now, what I think is really interesting here is if you read this in many ways, you can read it and kind of go, Jesus made a huge mistake at this next point. I mean, didn't he, he had him right here. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. He should have whipped out the four spiritual laws, right? I mean, I mean, real easy. You just kind of take that out and you go and you go through page by page and you kind of tell them and then you say, are you ready to receive? He doesn't do that. I mean, I'm amazed. Here is Jesus. He's looking at this guy and he understands that this process of regeneration is a birthing process. He didn't want any kind of preemie baby. He really wanted this person to come to the fullness where his heart and his spirit was ready to be born to the things of God so that when he is born into the things of God, he begins to see and he hears the things of God and he actually moves into the, to this realm which Jesus was offering him to walk in. And so he doesn't do it. He doesn't pull out the four laws. He doesn't lead him into a faith commitment because he knew he wasn't ready. He knew his heart. He was, amer- he was very much aware of the motions of, of of Nicodemus's soul. And he sees that Nicodemus is still in the birth process. Do you pay attention to that? Well, Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised by my saying you must be born again. He goes on to start teaching further. Here he's kind of going, Nicodemus, I think you should get this. You are a teacher. He goes, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. All of a sudden, Jesus gets really enigmatic. What is he saying? He sounds mysterious. But I think what he's doing is he's breathing the spirit further into his heart, into his life. He's causing him to have to understand and to grapple with and to grow and to deal with these spiritual realities so that it would form more fully his spirit to the point when it would be born. Jesus was fully aware of what he was doing. He was walking in this realm of spirit. He's interacting with the spirit. He was paying attention to the spirit. He knew what was going on. And Nicodemus has to ask, how can this be? You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 36, just if you look at verse 26 and 27, you could look at other passages, but just look at this passage alone. It was a well-known passage. It's the one before the Ezekiel of the dry bones and, and them all these bones being dead and coming to life. So it was one they were well aware of. It says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and look, look at this and put a new spirit in you. See, it, 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 it really makes it sound like there's an old spirit. There was something there. It wasn't responsive to God, but it needed a new spirit. And God said at some point he would come and he would place a new spirit in this person. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is a heart that's soft and supple and responsive to the things of God. That's open to this realm of God's activity where he works and where the spirit of God speaks. He says, in a sense, you have an old spirit. And then verse 27, he says, I will put my spirit in you. Even beyond that, I will actually breathe my Holy Spirit into you. And, and catch this. This is the part that's really important. And, and move you to follow my decrees. I'll actually move you, prompt you, direct you, just like this guy who's sitting there deciding whether the whole troop should stay here. Here was the Spirit of God. Now, he hadn't opened his heart to the Spirit. This is the mercy and grace of God. But God spoke to him, and he followed and he obeyed. And that sense of obedience prepared him for what? See, if he hadn't done that, he would have been dead. But let's say he didn't do it and still survived. It would not prepare him for all the work that was happening until the point when I would sit down with him and I would say how much God loves you. See how God has been preparing you. And then he opened his heart to the Spirit of God. To Jesus. And so he says, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. 
God places his spirit in anyone whose heart is truly open. And it's all a matter of grace. It's all part of God's gift. It's all the work of his Holy Spirit, bringing that spirit and your spirit to a point of of decision and openness. And then beyond that, his spirit will move you to follow him if you're willing to be moved. He made it clear to Nicodemus, the spirit of God begins to work on a soul. He develops a growing sense of a desire for God. And God uses all kinds of things to prepare us for his birth. And our interest in spiritual matters grows until one day under the effects of the spirit, a person says, God, I repent. A lot of people have a misconception on this word of repentance. A lot of times when we, I don't know if you think about repentance, repentance, most people when they think about repentance, think about getting really sad and sorrowful, right? And, and maybe crying. And, and you know what? The word repentance doesn't mean that. At the heart of repentance, the word is meta naeo, which means, naeo means to think. It means to rethink. It means to think again. It means when Jesus stood before people and said, the kingdom of God is here. Anybody who wants to enter in, anybody who wants to move into this realm where the spirit of God becomes active in their life and begins to work in their life, anybody who wants to do it, he would say, you need to repent. And he didn't say, I don't want you to cry and feel sorry and, and all those kind of things. He said, I want you to think again the way that you've been living, the, the deadness that you've had the spiritual things, the fact that you haven't been in this place, that you haven't received this offer, would you think again and understand what I was asking those guys? If you could align yourself fully with reality, would you do it? That's basically what he's saying. Would you, would you do that? And what happens when you begin to align yourself with reality, yes, then sometimes your emotions get triggered because you begin to understand that, that through the things that you've done and the way that you've lived, you've hurt people's lives and you, you've maybe hurt someone that you've loved deeply. And, and a lot of times people come to faith when they're in those very desperate moments. And when that happens, they understand how they've hurt another person and it causes great sorrow and great shame. Or they understand how they've offended God and, and that causes a sense of remorse. Those are all things that occur. But the heart of it is this. It's, it's to look at this offer and to say, do I want to enter most fully into the reality that is before me that Jesus offers? And the way that you offer, the way that you enter into it is to follow the way he lived. He gave the right to those who would believe on his name. The name of Jesus is a label given to a person who lived his life in such a way that he was most fully aligned with reality. And he says anyone who would trust in his, not this label, but trust in the way that he lived and would be willing to follow it and move into it would also experience the fullness of their life in line with reality. And he says that's the offer. And when you open your heart and you do that, you, you receive the Holy Spirit and you're, you're, you begin to have a desire for the things of God and you open your heart to the things of God. But what has happened in the church so often is we've gotten stuck on just this place. And that's this place of people at least just opening their heart to God. And what Jesus came to do is to show them it's not just that you are open to the spiritual. That's just the beginning. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But most of the church is right here at the tip of the iceberg. When God is saying, you know what? I had Jesus live before you because you are living so much below the level of what you could live in if you would follow fully the way he lived. And so he says to Nicodemus, you should understand this. And it should cause us to ask these kind of questions. How is God's spirit moving? Think about it in your own life. Do you have eyes, eyes of the heart trained to be able to see the way the spirit moves? Think about this. Where is the wind of the spirit blowing? 
this morning as I was preparing for this message and I was, I was kind of underlining and going through it again and reading and, and journaling and, and preparing for this time, I had the, the uh, door of our, uh, of, in my office, I have a, a door that goes out to the porch. I had that open. And it was, you know, it was really nice. It wasn't too cold. It was just nice. And all of a sudden, the, we have other double doors. All of a sudden, they started slamming shut. And I saw the effects of the wind go flying through and close these doors hard. And I went and I opened them and put some things there so they wouldn't slam again. And as I came back, I, I thought to myself, I can see the effects of physical wind. But how well do I see the effects of the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit and its movement around me? How well do you see the, the wind of the Spirit active, moving the effects of the Spirit on a person's heart and soul so that like Jesus could look at a person like Nicodemus and begin to see kind of how the Spirit is moving and shaping. How, how about where, where you live with your kids and your, some of you with friends? Let me ask you this question. I think this forces us to ask, are you seeking in your flesh? Or another way to say flesh, are you seeking your own wisdom and your own strength? Are you seeking to do things on your own and to force that which can only be borne by the Spirit? Or how do you get the wind of God's Spirit blowing in a dead area? Or do you know how much the Holy Spirit, uh, do you even know much about the Holy Spirit and how He works? Is this all new territory? And here's the one I really want to ask you. If you have opened your life to God and His Spirit, is He able to move you by His Spirit? I mean, you may have said yes and open yourself and you have a, a new understanding in a sense, but are you in a position where He can move your spirit? You see, the answer to the initial question to become spiritual beings is, no, we are all spiritual beings. It's only a matter of which direction we're heading. Are we moving more fully in alignment with reality, in which means towards heaven, which means heaven even in this realm here, which will someday be a heaven that will be fully heaven where there will be no more tears and pain and suffering? Or are you moving away from the ultimate reality, away from aligning yourself with reality? And you can do both. You can go both ways. And Jesus was saying, here's the offer. I invite you to come in here. It's a call of humility. It's a call that opens your heart, that recognizes there's a spirit there. But it's not just a one time I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I, I invite you in. It's a much greater deal than that. It's I open my heart and my life that I will humbly allow for you day in and day out to begin to move in my heart and to be paying attention to the way your wind of the spirit moves and, and how it impresses, how it touches my heart so that I can respond. So yes, we become alive spiritually to the things of God. And yes, we grow spiritually because we become more spiritual beings. You know, God has designed our spirits to grow. In fact, we are to mature. We're expected to become more spiritually developed beings. That's what this whole life is about, is that our life can be formed so that our spirit is most fully formed and developed that it can be, so that someday when we come to the end of it, our spirit is, is formed as possible. But growth and maturity, doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And it's just not something that happens accidentally. In the same way, physically, you don't grow unless you begin to actually take food in, you take water, you exercise. You don't do those kind of things, you don't grow. I remember when I saw a study in Romania, they had these babies that were in a hospital and they found that these babies that weren't touched, were, they hardly even developed when they didn't have physical touch. 
In fact, not only that, a number of them died because they didn't have physical touch, how important it was. And you know, the same thing is really true. If you are living your life, you come to Christ, you open your heart to Him, you, you receive this offer, and your heart is now open to the things of God, but you don't move in it, you don't allow God's Spirit to touch you, do you know the same thing happens, you don't grow, you actually spiritually can die? And you can be malformed? There's a couple of things I just want to mention to you. First is this growth and maturity. It's just not an accidental thing. It is not merely the result of more and more Bible study and teaching. A lot of times people in the church think, boy, if I just go to more Bible studies, and I get more teaching spiritually, I'm on track. You know what? The Bible is incredibly important. I, it's one of the most important things in my life. I spend my morning in, in God's Word and in prayer. I take time on a daily basis. That became so central in my life some 20 years ago. But I have to tell you, it is not the Bible alone that brings maturity. There's something more to that. In fact, some of the most highly educated Bible professors in some academic settings don't know Christ at all. In fact, if you look at what Jesus had to say, he responds just a few chapters further in John chapter 5. He says to these Pharisees, you have never heard his voice nor seen the form of God. Now catch this, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. Now catch this, his word doesn't dwell in you. He says, the point is, it may dwell here, but it doesn't dwell here in your spirit. There is a huge difference between it dwelling here. The more Bible study, the more teaching and all that kind of stuff, if it's just here, is a scary thing. Because he says you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Isn't that scary? But if it doesn't drop into your spirit where it becomes an active thing. He says these are the scriptures that testify about me, but you, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Let me share with you also this. It does not happen. You do not grow spiritually. You do not become spiritually more formed as a result of attending church or more religious activities. Being conformed religiously so people go, wow, you're a good Christian. You look like a good Christian doesn't make you spiritually transformed. You can be the most religiously conformed person, but it doesn't mean you're spiritually transformed. This this is something that I learned a number of years ago. This little thing came to my to my heart, and, and I really um, want to give this to you. Biblical information plus religious confirmation or conformity does not equal spiritual transformation. You get that? Biblical information plus combined with spir- religious conformity or confirmation or activity doesn't result in necessarily spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation occurs by listening to the Spirit and being obedient to the Spirit. And the more we listen to God's spirit and obey God with our spirit, the more spiritually transformed we will be. If you look at the pattern of Jesus in Luke, you just see how it works. He says in chapter 4, verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. Chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Just watch this pattern. Chapter 6, verse 12, one of those days Jesus went out into the hills to pray. Chapter 9, 18, once when Jesus was praying in private. Chapter 9, verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up to a mountain to pray. Chapter 11, verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
That's exactly what Jesus was doing every time he went alone to a solitary place. He was getting alone with God to listen to the Spirit so that the Spirit would speak to him and that he would then respond to what the Spirit was calling him to do. And that's what transforms one's spirit. Throughout the years, that little thought has given me incredible hope. Because Jesus, being fully a man with a human spirit, had bodily appetites just like me. He was made just like me. He's made just like you. He had to depend wholly on the Holy Spirit, just like we do. You know, so often we think, oh, Jesus, he's special, he's different. You know, I can't ever live like Jesus. But the reality is Jesus came to show us how to live. Now, we'll never be perfect like he was. But the same pattern is right there. It's that pattern where with our spirit, we listen to the spirit and we respond to the spirit. And the way that you do that is you need to take time where you hear God's word, where you also spend time where you get alone and you're quiet and you begin to hear the way the spirit of God speaks to your heart. And so in the same manner, we become fully spiritual beings as we listen with our spirit, to the Holy Spirit and move as he says. And this this is what requires. And we're going to close here in just a moment. A better understanding of how we are made. This is the definition of the soul, soul and spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, I'll give you a verse that kind of underlines this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates, catch this, the word penetrates, even dividing what? Soul and spirit. These things are so closely intertwined. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts in the attitudes. Those things are so difficult to, to separate. But God, by his word, can do that. Here's how we're formed. We have bodies that are physical, with physical appetites. We have a soul. The soul is made up of the mind. It's made up of our emotions, and it's made up of our will. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. But we also have a spirit. Now, people don't realize that. Because so often people are either in, in, most people are either led by their mind or by their emotion. But God created us to be led by our spirit so that our mind would inform and our emotions would be moved. Because the spirit often offends a person's mind. Think about it. The spirit often will offend your mind. Your mind might think this is a rational thing to do. How rational was it to build an ark when you never saw any rain? That sounds crazy, but a person who's, you know, led by the mind, they'd all go, you know, you can't do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. How many people would get your families all lined up and give them a bunch of trumpets and walk around a walled, fortified city and say, if we just walk around this, it's going to fall down? Crazy thinking, right? How about, how about David, who comes before Saul, and Saul puts him all this outfit of a uniform and, and this, this, uh, this armor on him and, and gives him his sword, and, and, and David goes, I can't go in this. I'm going to go, what, in the power of the Spirit of God. And he grabs a sling and a stone against a huge, massive giant. Who in their right mind would do that? Not only does the Spirit offend the mind at times in the way the Spirit calls us to do things through our spirit to act, but in the same way, the Spirit has called us to, in a sense, to discipline our emotions. There's a lot of people who are led by their emotions. They, they, they move into depression and, and, and they're led by their emotions. Or they, they come into situations where maybe they've lost a job or they're, they're in financial difficulty or they're having some kind of marital stress. And, and obviously in those difficult times, we're emotional people. We have those emotions. But there's also a sense that the Spirit of God comes in and says, you know what, my God knows you, my God loves you, my God is here and present for you. And as you walk into this offer of His, of His presence, it gives you the ability to walk in peace. 
There is there is the ability by the spirit of God to speak to our spirit, to walk like Jesus did through the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to navigate through life, not just relying on our mind and not relying on our emotions, but actually moving according to the spirit. And that's how Jesus lived. And that's how I believe he calls us to live. And I, I, I love this passage because when I was was doing a study in First Samuel a few years back, I came across this passage that I thought was very interesting because we're being led by God's spirit and his voice speaks to our heart. First Samuel nine, verse 15 and 16. It says, now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him as a leader of my people. Samuel must have been a man who was in prayer. He must have been thinking and looking towards the things of God, listening. His heart was open to the things of God. And God, at a certain point, reveals to him and says, Samuel, tomorrow sometime, and gives him this this thought. But what I think is really interesting, if you read the exact literal Hebrew words, it says, not the Lord revealed this to Samuel, it says the Lord uncovered Samuel's ear. He, he, he uncovered his ear so that he could speak into his ear so that he could hear. Now, here's what I want to kind of leave you with. Some of you who are younger, um, this isn't going to relate the same to you, okay? Because you have all your senses operating well. Like you hear well, you see well, you know, you can still touch and still feel the fine touch of things right. But here's something that's really cool about living in the spirit. When you age, even though your physical ears, your physical eyesight, your physical touch, you lose it. One of the great things about God when he's developing our spirit is it is possible for the ears of your spirit and heart and the ears of your eyes and heart for the touch, the responsiveness, the softness of your heart and that sensitivity for it to grow. It doesn't get worse. It shouldn't. So those of you who are having trouble with your physical hearing, you can kind of go, praise God, because I have the ability as I walk and understand and move into this offer that Jesus has given me to hear his spirit, even as I grow into my 70s, 80s, and 90s. I have this ability with my eyes, even though some of you are wearing five or six different glasses. With the eyes of your heart, you have the abilities. You grow in your spirit and are more developed in your spirit. As you hear the spirit and respond to it and grow and develop, you have the ability to see and, 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 and to be able to watch and to notice how the spirit of God moves. And some of you who, as you walk in, in, in the spirit, you, you have the ability for the sense of touch, for God to barely just touch and prompt you. If you're willing to open your heart, and to say, God, it's not just enough for me to have opened my heart and to have you made you, made, made you alive to the things of God. Am I growing in those things of God? Is, am I paying attention to this thing called the realm of the Spirit, this offer of aligning myself more fully with the reality of God? Is my heart open to your Spirit? That's my prayer. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us as a church, is that we as a body will be the kind of body that is responsive fully to the work of the Holy Spirit. That we say yes to this offer and not just offer it to people, but we grow in this so that our eyes and our hearts and our ears become far more sensitive to the things of God. Father, as we close, I just pray for some who are saying, you know, I, I want to um, open my heart. And I've been... I have been dead to the things of God. If, if you've been in that place, it's just a simple 
It's a simple statement of God. I just desire that. I open my heart and I want to receive that. Some of you, you're just saying, I want to have ears that grow. I want my my eyes to have better sight and my sensitivity to be better. And God's been speaking to you about that. Just open your heart to Him. And tell Him, Holy Spirit, come in and, and begin to move in my in my world. We pray these things and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.